0: Great looking crowd today. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to two different passages of Scripture. First, turn to John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. (laughs) That's very good. And then turn with me to to Luke, uh, if you would, chapter 22, verses 47 through uh, 53. Well, good, good. I want to share with you today as we close out this extraordinary series we've been looking at the, this this series the, the awesome things that Jesus said and did especially like the last few hours or a or, or few days of his ministry here but today I want to talk to you really about two different themes uh, really in all honesty today's talk is it's two messages kind of rolled into one <laughs> Some of you are kind of already getting anxious and you're looking at your watches like, are we going to get out on time? We're going to get out on time. But, but I, I do want to show you two different passages of Scripture. The, these passages talk about the same event, but they come from two different perspectives. I want to show you this extraordinary event today as it unfolds. We started out six weeks ago in this series and we looked really at the very last thing that took place in the ministry of Christ uh, through the, the resurrection. And since then, we have kind of hit the rewind button, and now we're going to the very first event, the, the arrest that Jesus faced that, that basically led him down the road of cruelties. It, we've looked at it in an extraordinary way through a rewind series of, of things. So today I want to share with you these two passages of Scripture, and then uh, we'll get into the Word. Let me read with you First John chapter 18. It says this, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was this olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers, some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing that all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And again he asked them, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happens so that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it out and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me? Wow. Now, let's look at the passage according to Luke in 22, verses 47 through 53. It says this, While he was still speaking, A crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear, and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard. And the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Wow. How many of you know that at times there are storms in life? I mean, we we go through the storms of life. How many of you have have ever gone through a storm of life, though, that's been self-inflicted? Anybody? Let's just be honest this morning. How many of you in the storm of life, you have found yourself needing a miracle from God in order to make it through? You ever been there? You see, today I want to talk to you about uh, that process. I want to talk to you about how Jesus is an extraordinary miracle worker when it comes to the storms of life. I mean, he has a way of just reaching down into our situation and restoring our mess. He's a, an awesome healer, and I want to talk to you about that today. But first, let me, let me paint this picture for you. Um, several years ago, uh, I was fishing in, in a tournament, a fishing tournament called the U.S. Open. It's a king mackerel fishing tournament, uh, which is one of the largest invitational fishing tournaments in the country. And myself and two of my friends were fishing on, on, on my boat, and... and as as we were going out fishing, we had been watching the weather as it had transpired. And this is one of the reasons why I sold the boat. You'll, you'll grab a hold of this in a second. But um, uh, as we were watching the weather, we saw that on the second day of this tournament that it was going to be pretty turbulent. That the weather was going to be treacherous. But at the same time, we were just avid fishermen. and We loved, you know, saltwater fishing. So we decided that we would enter into this invitational tournament, and, and so we go out the second day, and we, we, we decided that we are going to fish about 30 miles off the coast, which was a little closer inshore than we would normally fish. Well, in between us and the shore, which you couldn't see, but in the direction of land, uh, we saw these, these huge, ominous clouds beginning to build. One way over here in the distance and one kind of to our, our, our southeast. And as we were looking at it, we, we decided we'd better look at the weather radar, which we had one on our boat. And, and so we looked at the weather radar and we made a decision. This is our first mistake. We decided that we would ride the storm out. but Because it looked as if it wouldn't hit us, it really looked like it was going to skirt us. So we decided collectively we're going to ride the storm out. After about 20 or 25 minutes, we realize that the storm is getting closer and closer and closer. Both storms are. And we're like, man, what should we do? So we look at the weather radar again. We see the wind patterns, and we decide at that point in time, hey, you know what, we're not going to be able to you know, ride the storm out. This storm is going to hit us if we don't move. And so we made our second decision, which was our second wrong choice, And we decided that we would just pull in the lines, go full throttle towards the shore, split the two storms because they were still far enough apart that we had a little daylight, and maybe, just maybe, we could get to shore without really any serious damage. So, we began, pulled all the lines in, gave it full throttle, began to beat and bang, beat and bang. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but as we got about 20 minutes into this journey back to shore, we were probably about 20 miles still off the coast. We realized that we weren't going to be able to outrun these storms. In fact, these two storms had kind of converged together, and it was just like this huge mess that we were in. And the situation went from from very bad to extremely dangerous, just like that. Seas went from 4 feet to 12 feet in a matter of seconds. The wind was blowing so hard that the rain was coming sideways. Now, we're on a boat that has this big T-top over the top of it, all of this metal around, and all around us is lightning striking like crazy. I don't know if you've ever been on the ocean when something like that happens, but listen, there's nowhere to run for cover. We're hiding under this T-top, and we're holding on to it for dear life, and the T-top's made out of metal, (laughs) We're like, man, this is a lightning rod. And it's, I mean, it's striking all around us. The wind and the waves become so, so huge that, that the water is breaking over the bow of the boat. And at this point in time, we began to realize that, man, this really could be it. In fact, one, one wave came crashing over the bow of the boat. And we took on so much water that, that we were thinking, man, we're going to sink. And so we began to scramble for, for life jackets. We were putting life jackets on anything that had flesh on it. I mean, there are life jackets strapped around each leg, your chest, and everything. And then the, another, uh, another wave comes crashing over the bow of the boat and shatters our windshield. And, and I mean, really, at this point in time, I began to think, man, is this how, is this how it's going to end? Is this how it's going to end? So we, we turned our radio to, to the, the U.S. Coast Guard channel where if, if there's a dangerous situation you could sh- you know, call out SOS or Mayday or whatever and, and, and they're supposed to at that point in time the beacon begins to sound in your radio so that if you do sink they'll know about the vicinity that you began to sink in. So we did that and as we did that you could hear other boats who were somewhat in our area calling in uh, that their, their vessels had capsized. In fact, In that storm, several people who were in that tournament actually died. But, I mean, it was a very treacherous situation. But I remember very distinctly one of the guys that was with me, a friend of mine, he began to beg and plead God. I mean, just literally begging God. He was brokering a deal with God. He's like, God, if you get me off of this boat, I promise I'll never get back on the water. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever tried to broker a deal with God right in the middle of a storm? I'll do anything, God. I'll do anything. You know, we say that, and it's kind of funny now that I I tell you that story looking back on it, but you know one thing, when I was thinking about that story, I thought, you know what, I am so glad that God, or that Jesus, in the middle of His storm, He didn't try to broker a deal with God, and say, God, I'll do anything if you get me out of here. God, I'll do absolutely anything if you'll take this cup away from me. You know what? He didn't do that. In fact, Jesus did just the opposite. He he sat in a garden all night praying with tears and with sweat and with blood falling from his his brow because of the mental anguish that that he said this. He said, Father, not my will, but your will. How awesome is that? Let me set this scene up for you this morning because Jesus had just finished this all-night prayer service in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going into this prayer service and, and, and finishing up. And, and as he's finishing up this prayer, uh, he, he realizes that he's, the storm in his life has just begun. There's this huge storm that is taking place. The winds uh, of this storm are beginning to build in his life. The clouds are building overhead, if you will. Then Judas comes down out of the hillside and comes up to Jesus. Now, G, uh, Judas has 600 soldiers in tow. When you do the research, you'll find that he brought 600 soldiers to arrest Jesus. Once he makes this this initial uh, evidence that, that this is Jesus, then a couple of things happen in these two passages of Scripture. Basically, two themes dominate this. First, you see the theme of Jesus and how this storm is beginning to brew in his life. How all of this difficulty is now coming to to a head, and all the things that have been prophesied are now beginning to take place. But then, on top of that storm, Peter kind of does something kind of crazy. And he drives headfirst into this storm, if you will, and he makes this rash decision, this irrational fit of rage that he has. He grabs a Roman soldier's sword and he swings it violently, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. He pulls a Mike Tyson. (laughs) Ears flapping or falling to the ground, whatever happens here, and some things begin to unfold. I can imagine that Jesus standing there, thinking, "Man, this has just gone from bad to worse." But right in the middle of this this storm event, if you will, there is this extraordinary miracle that that takes place. Jesus comes to the rescue in in nine one one fashion. Jesus kind of reaches out after this event unfolds and he, he grabs Malchus's head and when he does, boom! The dude's ear is healed. It's completely restored. Wow! How powerful is that? That right in the middle of this storm that Jesus has, Peter makes some decisions that exacerbates Jesus' situation. Right in the middle of the storm, Peter does some things that cause the situation to all of a sudden kind of turn southward for Jesus. Today I want us to roll up our sleeves and I want us to investigate uh, this this extraordinary miracle that Jesus performed that day. I want us to look at that and I want to break it apart here with you very briefly. In John chapter 18, we see some things that happen. We see that the soldiers came up to Jesus and and they want to identify Jesus. So they had set up this protocol. And and so when they walk up, Jesus says, you know, who is it that you're looking for? And the soldiers say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And then in verses 5 and 6 of John 18, Jesus says something. He says, well, well, I am he. You need to look no further. "I, I am he. Jesus didn't do like some of us would do and point to Peter and say, that's him right there. You're looking for him, trust me, that's, that's the dude. He didn't do that. He said, I am he. The words I am, though, let me tell you, they have great significance. Because in the Old Testament, Jesus or, or God went by the name the great I am. I am who I said I am. I am. Now, when Jesus says I am, all of a sudden the soldiers fall to the ground. The power of God falls in such a way that they're stunned and they fall to the ground. Uh, just laying flat out on their backs before they knew what hit them. Now, this had to be an extreme scene. Now, at this point in time, while they're on the ground, Peter makes this spontaneous decision. He thinks, man, this is our opportunity. We can get them now. So Peter reaches down, and he grabs the sword, and he looks, the Bible says, at, at Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 49. And he says, Jesus, in a gleeful fashion, should we strike him with the sword? You know? Can you imagine that these dudes are laid straight out, their eyes straight up in the air, and 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 Peter standing over the top of them, like Jesus? Should we strike them now? Now's our opportunity. But notice something: before Jesus could could respond to Peter, Peter reacted. He he swung his sword in a fit of rage, and kind of slicing off the ear of Malchus. He just cut the ear completely off what a bizarre thing to do now let me tell you something when when the bible says that he cut off malchus's ear the the term cut off in the greek literally means that he cut off the whole outer ear of malchus i mean it was gone i mean just not a piece like mike tyson i'm talking about gone now this is this is extreme now you, you need to understand this why would peter attack an ear I mean, think about this with me. Why would Peter attack an ear? Obviously, we see that Peter wasn't very good with, with wielding a sword. <laughs> but why would he attack an ear? Think with me for a second. Uh, here's, here's my belief. I don't believe that Peter w- was attacking the ear. Why would he? I mean, the, the ear couldn't do anything to him. Here's what I believe happened. I, I believe that Peter, while they were down on their backs, Peter began to swing down with this sword, aiming for Malchus's head. And he missed, and he hit the ear. Here's what I've often thought, though. This is just a crazy thought, but I'm going to go here for a second. I've often thought, man, what if he'd have hit his neck, and his head would have rolled off? <laughs> and, and Jesus would have went over there and grabbed Malchus' head and said, Come on, Peter. Put his head back on. <laughs> now, you've got to admit, man, that would have been an awesome story. <laughs> anyway, we'll get back to the line here that we're, we're going on. That's kind of a rabbit trail. But anyway, let me tell you what's going on that that maybe you don't understand here because it's not written in Scripture. What Peter has done is against the law. I mean, it was as bad then as it is now, really worse then. You see, what's unwritten in the Scripture is that not only is it scandalous because Malchus is is the high priest's servant. I mean, he's not just, don't think of him like a slave because he's not. I mean, he is in the upper echelon. I mean, he's a noted figure. Peter has done something that is uh, against the law that is punishable by life imprisonment or execution. I mean, this is pretty grave. I mean, this is a pretty big situation. And so what happens here is this. As the blood is, is pouring out of the side of Malchus' head and dripping off of the sword that Peter is holding, Jesus reaches out places his hands upon malchus's head and he heals him how amazing is that how awesome is that now understand something when it says that he healed him in in the greek it literally means that his ear was completely restored and new that is what that word healed means in the greek so i mean it was completely restored wow what an extraordinary miracle What what an extraordinary, supernatural event. Now, let me just say to you this morning, I'm going to be candid and honest with you. I don't have a clue as to how Jesus did it. I don't know. I can't explain to you how Jesus did the miraculous. What I do know is all throughout scriptures, when I read them, the miraculous followed Jesus. I mean, the the, the extraordinary miracles of healing followed Jesus' ministry. Let me tell you something. He truly was the great physician and is the great physician. And miracles followed him. You see, he was an extraordinary cure-all. I mean, he could cure any situation, anything. Now, here's the deal. I, I can't explain to you how he did it. But as I've studied the Scriptures, there are some things that I have seen, some commonalities when it comes to miracles, when it's especially healings. When, when Jesus healed people, there are three common threads, if you will, that go throughout every last one of those healings. Today, what I want to do with you is I want to unpack those, those three things. I want to kind of take them out and look at them and see how Jesus operated his healing ministry. And I think then that you'll have a better understanding of who Jesus is, this extraordinary cure-all. Here's the first thing that I want you to do. I want you to open up your worship directories. I want you to fill in the blanks with me. You've got to stay with me today. Here's, here's the deal. Um, miracles are an awesome thing, and this is also a side note. We're, as I've been going through this series uh, I feel like God has given me another series, I, I, and we're going to do it a little bit later on down the road, not the next series, but a little later on, where we explore the awesome miracles of Jesus because, man, they are absolutely incredible. But I, I want to show you today these three things. Here, here's the first item that you need to understand. The healing ministry of Jesus was personal. Fill in the blank. was personal. You see, as you look at, at Christ and His healing ministry in the Gospels, As you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that his healing ministry, everything that he did when he healed people was very, very personal. It was very, very intimate. He was very intimate with them. How so? Think about this. He could be speaking to thousands of people. He could have a crowd of thousands and he would take one person out of that crowd, take them to the side, and he would heal them. He would minister to them. It would become personal for him. And various times throughout those miracles, throughout those healings, you will see that Jesus, either during the healing, before the healing, or sometime around the healing, he would actually reach out and he would touch the person that he was healing. Keep in mind, this is very personal. Because think about it. He he healed lepers, those that were lepretic, which you were not supposed to touch at all. You weren't even supposed to get within 50 feet of a leper. He would reach out with his hands and he would touch them. You see, healing was very personal. For Jesus look at Malchus for a second in, in, in Luke chapter 22 verse 51 this is the very last miracle in Jesus's ministry he reaches out first off he tells Peter put away the sword man dude put away the sword enough of this and then he reaches out and he places his hands upon Malchus's head and, and he heals him think about this with me for a second who is Malchus Malchus really is the enemy of Christ I mean, he's come to arrest Jesus. But Jesus sees Malchus, identifies with his pain, and heals him. It becomes personal. He touches Malchus. Can I ask you a question? Because this is a very serious point. When you pray for someone that you know has a need, does it become personal for you? But really, do you, do you begin to empathize with their pain do you see their pain and begin to take upon their pain? I mean, do you... Man, God. They, they need your help. They need your... I mean, do you really identify with it? Does it become personal for you? Or, or is it just words that you throw in the air hoping that God will just hear one or two of them? You see, because for Jesus, healing was, was very, very, very personal. That's the first thing. The second thing for Jesus, the characteristic, was that the healing ministry of Jesus was also extraordinarily passionate. Jesus was passionate about healing people. You see, when it came to healing people, Jesus did every healing that he did, he did it so that it would bring glory to God and bring honor to God. Now think about this with me for a second. Why would Jesus perform miracles? Why did Jesus perform over three dozen miracles? Why? Why would Jesus take the time out of his schedule? To heal a blind guy in such a way that he had to get his hands dirty. He would spit in the ground. Make a little muddy spiritual divine ointment. Place it upon the eyes of this dude and touch him and heal him. Why would he do that? Why would, why would he take the time to, to heal a paralyzed guy? Why would he take the time to heal a, a lame person? Why, why would Jesus perform these miracles? Why would, 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 would Jesus heal Malchus? Why would he do this? Can I tell you why? There, there, there's really there's, there's two reasons why? Because number one, it showed that He truly was the Son of God. That's why. It showed that He was the Son of God. It authenticated the gospels. You see, who he said he was, his actions matched up with it. It authenticated what was said about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But, but that's the first reason. The, the second reason is, is a little more significant, in my opinion. When he healed someone, it freed them up. Think about that with me for a second. It, 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 it freed them up because, when, think about Lazarus. When, when Lazarus was called out of, uh, out of the grave, uh, uh, he was it just it freed it freed him up to to, to, to see how passionate that, that Jesus was. Let me let me let me show you this because when 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 Jesus called him out of the grave, he cried the bible says. He wept. He wept over Lazarus. In such a way that then he said loosen his clothes and let him go. You see what he was saying was put your faith to flight. When when Jesus touched Malchus, let me me share with you something. When the Bible says that he touched Malchus, it actually and literally means that he put his hands upon Malchus's head. Jeremy, come here for a second. I'm going to show you something. Not, Not in this manner. He didn't just walk up to Malchus and say, be healed. The word touched literally means that he grasped tightly he held firmly the head of malchus what does that tell us what does that show us why is that important the reason why that is important is because <laughs> it showed us how passionately he prayed for malchus's healing you see are you passionate when it comes to healing are you pa- you can sit down malchus uh, are, are, you, are you passionate when it comes to, to praying for others? You see, because this shows us that, that Christ was extraordinarily passionate, but Christ was also extraordinarily purposeful in His healing ministry. Write that down. Fill in the blanks. Christ was extraordinarily purposeful. You see, I, I've already shared with you that everything that Christ did when He healed was purpose-driven. I mean, it, it was there for, for a purpose. Number one purpose was, was what? It was to show that, uh, he belo- that he was the Son of God. It was to authenticate the Scripture. But the second thing I said was that it was to free up those that he was healing. Now let me ask you a question. Why would he want to free up Malchus? Here's, here's my thought. I don't believe the healing of Malchus had anything to do really, with Malchus. Malchus, obviously, he needed an ear. But, but I don't think it really had that much to do with Malchus. I think it had everything to do with Peter. Because, think about this one with me for a second. If the healing ministry of Christ is purposeful, had Jesus not reached out and healed Malchus, you know what? Peter would have been, would have been arrested, possibly even executed, or served life imprisonment. Therefore, Peter would not have accomplished... The purpose that God had for him you see he was freeing up Peter (laughs) really didn't have a whole lot to do with Malchus it could have been a Roman soldier it could have been anyone Uh, he was freeing up Peter because there was this huge destiny that Peter had to fulfill and he couldn't do it in prison and so he was doing this and showing in his last miracle how awesome of a miracle worker that he is now I want you to take those thoughts and shelve them for just a second on the back burner of your brain I want to look at the second thing. We we see that that Jesus obviously is in a storm. But Peter now has kind of thrust himself into this storm. There's this internal storm that is beginning to rage in, in Peter's life. All that Peter has heard, all that Jesus has spoken into Peter's life is now coming to fruition. It's now beginning to take place. He's now beginning to see that it's happening. And Peter becomes scared. There's like fear in Peter's heart. I mean, he's scared, and he's like, God, why? Can you imagine? Why is all of this happening? Why this struggle? Why this difficulty? Why am I going through this storm of life? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever found yourself in the storm and wondering why you're going through the storm? Come on, let's just be honest. You see, have you ever felt like, I'm a Christ follower. I shouldn't be having to suffer like this. Why? let me ask you this question today what storms are you facing in a crowd this size there are just storms all in this place if we were candid with one another there are storms that we're all facing probably you see if you're not in a storm right now you probably just came out of a storm if you're not if you just didn't come out of a storm you may be getting ready to go into a storm storms are imminent Storms are on, you know, your horizon. They, they will happen. Let me ask you again. What turbulent area in your life do you need Jesus to heal? What area? What area is going on in your life that you need God's touch? Maybe Maybe it's occupational. Maybe it's an occupational storm that is raging in your life. Maybe right now you feel like you're in a dead-end job. Maybe right now you're just so aggravated with the job that you have and the people that you work with are driving you nuts. (laughs) They're driving you absolutely bonkers. Man, you at times want to lay hands on them. Not in a spiritual way either. And, and, And so... Maybe you just you just feel like, man, I'm just so sick of this. And there's an occupational storm brewing in your life. Maybe you're in an occupational storm because you don't have an occupation. Maybe that's a storm that you're facing. M- maybe it's a relational storm. Maybe right now you're going through something relationally that it's just an absolute storm in your in your life. and and. and Everything you've tried, is, it's, it's gotten worse. Maybe it's in your marriage or maybe it's in another relationship, but you, it's just getting worse and worse and worse and exponentially just raging out of control and the winds are blowing, rain's coming in sideways and lightning's popping all around you. And you're doing all that you can to find the life jackets just to hang on. Maybe, just maybe, it's a financial storm. Maybe it's a spiritual storm. Maybe it's an emotional storm. You see, whatever storm it is, here's something that we can extract. You see, I I I want you to understand these things. If this storm is beginning to build in your life and it's beginning to rage in your life, there are three things that we can extract out of these two passages of Scripture that will help you weather the storm, that will help you navigate the storm. Here's what they are. Fill in the blank. Here's the deal. The first one is God controls your calendar. Fill in the blank. God controls your calendar. What do I mean by that? Think with me for a second. Why is it that Jesus and Peter are going through this? Let me tell you why. Because God appointed it. God appointed it. You see, the Bible tells us that God knew you before you were even born. And that he knows the end from the beginning. That means this. That means that God knew that today, on May seventeenth, two 2009... He knew what storm would be taking place in your life. God knew it. God controls the calendar in your life. In fact, Jesus proves that because in in John chapter 18, verse 4, Jesus says, I knew that this storm was going to take place in my life because he says this, Jesus knew all that was about to happen to him. It says all. You see, storms are unpredictable. We don't know when they're going to happen, but storms are imminent. We know they're going to happen. Now, here's something that will prove and illustrate my point. In in, in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, don't turn there, just write that down and look at it when you get home. Jesus has just finished preaching to the masses. People are are, are just overwhelmed, and Jesus is emotionally drained. So he looks to the disciples, and he says this in Mark 4, 35. He says, let's go over to the other side of this lake. So they all get in the boat. Jesus crawls in the bow of the boat. And they begin to head to the other side. In their journey, uh, uh, this huge storm comes up out of the mountains and rolls down into this lake. And it becomes so treacherous that, that the boat is taking on water. And, and they begin to bail the, the water out of the boat. And they're thinking, man, we're going to die. Somebody said, you better wake Jesus up. We're going to die. So what do they do? Somebody wakes Jesus up. We know the end result. Jesus speaks to the water and the, the winds and the waves stop and everything becomes calm. But here's my point. Jesus is the Son of God. He had to know what was on the calendar. But yet he still told the disciples, let's go to the other side. He had to know that there was going to be a storm. Let me tell you this. The disciples were not struggling because they were out of God's will. They were struggling because they were in God's will. They were following his direction. My point to you is this, no matter what your struggle, your obstacle, your storm is, it doesn't matter if it's a bad decision that you've made, it doesn't matter if it's the enemy of life coming against you, it doesn't matter if it's because of this broken world, my point is this, God is in control of your calendar. Take refuge in that. The second thing is this, that Jesus, when you're trying to navigate through the storm, the second thing that Jesus will do is he will never bail out on you. He'll never bail out. Think about this. Jesus has already proven that he can walk on water. He could have jumped out of his boat and said, guys, you're on your own. (laughs) You're by yourself today. But he didn't do that. Think about this with me for a second. He didn't do that. You, You need to understand whatever storm, struggle, difficulty that you're going through in life, that his presence is with you. Never, ever forget that. I mean, that is something that you need to to realize. Think about this with me for a second. Jesus reaches out and he touches Malchus. He he reaches out and he touches him and heals him. Now, what if Jesus would have, rather than that, what if Jesus would have allowed Judas and the, the soldiers to arrest him and to cart him off and have stood there and allowed Peter to suffer the consequence of his action? What if he would have done that? You see, he didn't do that. Jesus stopped the process long enough to reach out, grab Malchus by the head, and heal him. Why? Because know something. Know this. Jesus will never, ever bail out on you. God will never bail out on you. You see, he took the opportunity to fix the mess that Peter made. That was Peter's choice to make that decision. He's the one that made the mistake, but Jesus didn't bail out on him. He helped him through the process. You see, you need to know this. God will never bail out on you. He's with you. You may not feel him, but he's there. You may not see him, but he's there. Know that whatever you're going through, the storm of life, you can know that God's presence is there through his Holy Spirit. And He will encourage you when you need to be encouraged. He will give you peace when you need to have peace he'll give you strength when you need to have strength so today i say this be encouraged and know that jesus will never bail out on you here's the third thing this is the final point when navigating the storm of of life we need to endure storms for his purposes we endure storms for his purposes Are you saying, Pastor Mark, that that God ordains those storms? I am saying that God knows those storms will take place in your life. And that there is a purpose for your pain. Why? Why is that? Why do we have to to do that? Let me tell you why. Because God is going to do something in you that he could not do any other way. He'll go with you through the storm and you'll come out on the other side and changed and different person that you would not be if it were not for the storm. Can I tell you this? Think about this for a second. What if in the garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus was, was crying out to God, Father, not this cup, please take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. What if he had said, listen, I'm getting out of here. Send the legions of angels, I'm ready to go back to heaven. You know something? We wouldn't have the opportunity for forgiveness. We wouldn't have the opportunity for eternal life. We wouldn't have the opportunity for hope. You see, Jesus had to endure the storm. Why? So that we would have the hope of forgiveness. It was the only way. You see, Jesus, He will control your calendar. He will show you how to navigate through the storm because He's not only in control of your calendar, but He'll never bail out on you. And then also, the third... Is that it's for His purpose. Understand whatever it is that you're going through. Here's my point today. That Jesus, the great physician, God Himself, His office is not closed for business. Today, God, through this talk today, here's what I want you to do. Here's the bottom line. I want you to realize that God can reach right into your storm. Wherever you are and whatever it is. And God Himself can heal it. I want you to begin to envision God. I want you to begin to envision Jesus with those nail-scarred hands reaching down into your storm. You see, He will work a miracle in the storm of your life. He is a miracle-working God. That is, that is my point. The reason why this miracle and this storm are intertwined together is to show you that God can work in the middle of Of your mess. That's awesome to me. That's incredible to me. To think that it doesn't matter what it is. If it's a self-inflicted mess. Or if it's something that's God ordained. God's right there by my side. He's with me. And you know what? He's personal with me. He's passionate about me. And he has a purpose for me. Understand that Jesus is, is a miracle worker. He's an extraordinary miracle worker. And God today wants to touch your storm. He wants to touch it. And I'm going to ask our, our pianist if, if she would to come back today. Here's, here's the deal. This, this is what I want to close with. I kind of left you hanging with that storm that I was in. Let me take you back to it. When I say that, that we feared for our lives, that's an understatement. Literally. I mean, we... we we took heavy damage on the boat. The boat came back into shore very, very damaged. That day, as we were out there and it's lightning striking all around and the the waves are are becoming just so much for us to bear and and us kind of panicking and trying to hold on to things and, and trying to just stay afloat. The one friend that I told you was brokering a deal with God this is a true story he goes to this church I was hoping he was here today he's not here today I was going to have him stand up (laughs) let me tell you the truth that dude got saved on that boat that day I'll never forget it when we were kind of back and forth at first we were thinking man we were kind of scaring him thinking you know what we've been through small storms like this before dude man we may die today if we died and we went down, where would you go? Heaven or hell? Not really realizing that, man, it was going to get pretty bad. And you know what? Before that event fully closed out, before that day was over, while we were still on the boat, he said, pray with me and lead me to Jesus. I've got to know Jesus. Because I've never been so scared in my life. My point is this, in the middle of your storm, God is there. There's a purpose for it. For that guy, the purpose was salvation. Let God reach down into your situation and the extraordinary healer that he is, allow him to wrap his hands around you and bring you through it. Stand up, if you would, bow your heads with me.